Welcome to Infinity War and Beyond, the podcast where each week we subject ourselves to every Marvel Cinematic Universe film, one Marvel Studio film a week, until we reach the blatant grab for cash that is Avengers Infinity War. I'm Christoph, and I'm going to be the host for this week as we look at Captain America, the first Avenger. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Billy. Hey, you going, Billy? Hey, Christoph. That's all you got for me when I ask how you're going? It's I'm you, good. I'm good. No, I'm, I'm excited to talk about Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, look, I should probably say something for listeners at home, right? So each, obviously, as you've picked up on Infinity War and Beyond, each week we watch a Marvel Cinematic Universe film in order. Um, this was Billy's brainchild. Billy, how would you say you view the Marvel Universe film? I really like the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't... I don't necessarily feel that way. I'm fairly bent out on these films. And usually, if there was a good cop and a bad cop, Billy's usually a good cop. I'm usually I can bad be cop. bad cop if I want to. Look, I'm not I'm not uh, diminishing your ability Just to be bad. To our what Hulk. do you want to be? Just listen to our Hulk episode. Yeah, a lot of, lot of Hulk dick talk. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about Thor Ragnarok exclusively because the Hulk dick is, it comes up again. Exactly. Um, um, oh, taking over. No, all good, Billy. Well too excited gotta contain it uh where at this point i believe we are five weeks in five movies deep yes balls deep some might say at this point not really balls deep well so i'm halfway through i'm look i'm saying balls deep and it, we only get only getting deeper from here billy that's <laughs> um, fine that's fine uh I've, some I've people been... take it longer to get balls deep Ooh, getting spi- getting a bit spicy yes um so how are you finding trying to fit in a two-hour action film into your into your weekly schedule? Good, because um, you know Mondays are usually burnt out, not wanting to go back to work. So is, um, that, is that when you usually fit it in? Not at work. I no, actually, I mean like I do work at work. In case as from from Billy's place of employment is listening. Yes. Um, no. Yeah. No. Look, it's just good to come home, chill out. I don't know, bowl of, not a whole bottle, but some booze and just listen. And watch, watch a movie. See, if I, you're burnt out, that's not my fault, Chris. <laughs> you, you, wow. you agreed to do this with me? You're sounding like my wife, talking about our marriage. Um, that was a joke, my marriage is fine, I think. We're, we're cool, we're cool. Okay. Um, what because for me it's like eating, eating my vegetables, figuring out like each week, when am I going to, when am I going to fit this in? And it's not even like some of these movies like Captain America uh, 2, The Winter Soldier, like I've just watched for fun because I felt like it. Yeah. But there's something about having to watch these films that makes me like, they suddenly become the thing I want to do the least. Well, no, I mean, look, I mean, if you enjoy the films, it's like you just, you don't have to, you shouldn't treat it like a job. Just treat it like, oh yeah, I'm I'm delving back into, it's like rereading old comics. Do you reread old stories? Sometimes. I wouldn't there say that's what, do- that's what you're doing. You're doing a sometimes. I guess my point is that it's not the revisit, it's the the lack of choice about the revisit that suddenly in my stupid brain makes me want to do it even less. <laughs> that's just a small taste you know of the sort of disappointment. Many, you know we've got many more films to go after this one. I know. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we're not even at the end of phase one. Yes. And there's three of these goddamn phases. So, uh, plenty more to go. All right. Um... Do you want to jump to to the trailer and then we'll jump into the film? Yeah, alright. Well, here comes the trailer. Rogers, Steven. 
Just give me a chance. Sorry, son. I'm saving your life. General Patton has said that wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. Our goal is to create the greatest army in history. I should be going with you. Look, I know you don't think I can do this. This but... isn't a back alley, Steve. It's war. But every army begins with one man. Five tries in five different cities. I can offer you a chance. He will be the first in a new breed of super soldiers. Why me? Because the weak men lose the value of strength, lose the value of power. That wasn't so bad. That was penicillin. We are going to win this war because we have the best men. Now, Mr. Stark. And they will personally escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell. So now we're going to talk about our first thoughts of the film and sort of give a little bit of context. So we usually discuss like box office numbers, what the world was like when the film came out, the actors involved, and sort of give you a bit of a broader idea about the project and a bit of perspective on it. Right, Billy? Yes. Um, well, do we, want to, do we want to start off with the box office numbers or do we want to look at no, the no. creative people behind this? Yeah, creative people. So the film was directed by... By uh, Joe Johnston. Do you, want to, do you want me to read some of his credits or do you want to sure. jump in? go ahead and I'll jump in if you miss anything. Yeah, oh, I've only got a couple down here actually. The ones that stuck out to me. So before Captain America, he did The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And then Captain America was his next film. So yeah. just tonally... It's I've a not seen. The yeah, I've not seen The Wolfman. It was a. My understanding was that it was a horror-ish film. Yeah. Um. And then, and then, he did. Or oh, he has done Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji. Okay. He's also done the, uh, Rocketeer. Yep. Um, and the Page Master. So he's done a couple of. What's the Page Master? Um, I believe it's like a kid that. Yeah, it's sort books. of like um, uh, it's he's in a library and well, I don't know. I assume that from page it's one of, it's involved. it's one of those ones where like you know the characters in the book come to life type thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, like one of those young kid stories type thing. Um, but yeah, uh, he was also an effects artist and art director on the Star Wars films, so New Hope. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and also worked on the first two Indiana Jones films. That's right, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I definitely think in terms of like direct film influences, Indiana Jones is probably the most oh, Star Wars a little bit as well. On this first film? Yeah. It feels way more... Just because it, like, it d- takes a whole bunch of stuff directly out of the Indiana Jones play. Oh, yeah, no, that too. But, I mean, the whole, like, kind of pulpy... Sort of, I mean, there is some sci-fi element to this. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, who knows? Maybe some of the effects and and sort of the influences he had working on Star Wars film, I think, may have fallen into this as well. Interesting. Um, uh, so something I picked up was that a... So an actor, a theatre actor by the name of Leander Dini was the body double uh, for some of the shots mm-hmm. earlier in the film when we see scrawny pre-super soldier uh, serum Chris Evans. And then I believe they also did um, an LA company called Lola uh, basically did what is 
what they call digital plastic surgery on him to sort of slim him down and make him this sickly gaunt frame. Mm. I, I don't know if you picked this up, Billy, but it definitely... I liked it. He like he just his head looks too big for that. Yeah, I know. Body. I know, but it, it did feel like it suited the whole frail looking Steve pre um uh pre Super Soldier. Like I don't I wasn't sure how else they were gonna do it. I mean they yeah. even changed his hair as well. That's true. I guess as and this, this definitely sort of come through in the comics as well. He is not just, like, skinny. He's cartoonishly skinny. Yeah. Like, of course, because it's meant to be... They really want to emphasise the trans- transformation from witty beanpole to, you know... Yeah, a exactly. height of human physicality. Um, now, the screenplay for this film is by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And they and I assume they pop up again in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, so they've written a few uh, of the screenplays for the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've done the three Cap films. Yep. Uh, Thor The Dark World, um, the upcoming Avengers Infinity War, and whatever Avengers 4 is called. And they were also... Can I stop you for a minute there? Yes. What does that mean Avengers Infinity War isn't 4? Isn't Avengers 4? No, it's Avengers 3. Oh, crap. No, it is 2. Yes. Oh, God. You know why? Because Captain America Civil War is like... Feels a, like it's, good an, Avengers it's an Avengers film. It's not a Captain. It's the film. Avengers film Age of Ultron should have been. Yeah, oh, God. We have to rewatch Age of Ultron. Thanks yeah. for reminding me. Fuck. Um, but also, they were behind the creation of the Agent Carter TV series. And also non-Marvel related, they're some of the, they're screenwriters for some of the Chronicles of Narnia film franchise. Okay, kind of cool. With the upcoming ones that they're doing, or the older films? The older ones. I like some of them. You know, I, I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen. Language in the Wardrobe was good. I was a huge Narnia fan of the Narnia books as a kid, and yeah. the Prince Caspian and Voyage of the Dawn Trader were just so bad. And okay. Well, they just were butchered the books. I haven't looked into those films, so I don't know if they were. They weren't the only ones on the screenplay for that as well. Okay, so there might have been someone else. Yes. Fucking up with my, fucking with my childhood. So this was also released in July 22, um, 2011. So that was... Now, I what, think we two... got it in May here because Australia usually gets these films a little bit earlier. I could be wrong, but... I th- yeah, I I'm not sure. It was May that we got this film. Because if that's the case, because it wouldn't have, it would have been like... Because July is like three or four months after Thor... In 2011. I feel like I feel like Captain America might have been the first. Like, might have been America first because it's... America! America! It's interesting you bring that up. So I think the original sort of, like, screenplay was floating around in the Bush era. Yes. And they were very sort of careful about how they're going to... How sort of to handle anti-American sentiment. And I think they were very much emphasising that he's called Captain America, but the values he stands for are universal. Yeah. But you can't get past the fact he's got a fucking American flag... As his on costume. His, yeah, on his, on his costume and shield. Yes. But apparently, I, I, there was sort of... They felt that they could be more optimistic and there was sort of a weight lifted off their chest when Obama got in. Because this yes. is three years into Obama. Exactly. So I think America at this point would have seen... I'd be, be recovering some of its reputation from the, uh, from the Bush era. Yes. Um, what was the budget for this? You know what, Billy? You fucked me up because my I usually have my phone open on yes. Wikipedia. A little peek behind the curtain, guys. Okay. Um, well, because Kristoff <laughs> is not ready. Um, no, the... I... Okay, I want the listener to know, or listeners, maybe we have multiple. He's hoping. That I have notes here written down. I, I assumed that I'd have my phone open on IMBD with the numbers, but it died. He has no notes. He has no 
I'm just shuffling black blank paper, and now you've now you've caught me out, Billy. Yes. Uh, so the budget was 140 million. What 140 million? Yes. So that's less than Iron Man one, I believe. Yes, but see, as we've worked out through watching these films and looking at the behind the scenes, the cost for the Iron Man films are for digitally putting the Iron Man costume really? on that's... Iron Man. Because all Iron Man wears is face, like helmet, yes. and gauntlets, and I think maybe shoes. Surely and pants. No. The rest is all like wearing a black um, sort of... The, uh, whatever it is, the black version of a green screen. Yeah, like for the body, and with then like they the did, dots. Yeah, with the dots and everything, they digitally put it on him. Um, yeah, so but it made three hundred and seventy point six million dollars. Okay, it's not I'm bad. To... Yeah, not it's double. It's Plus. also I wonder, Billy, just in regard to the budget, if part of it is because I feel like at this stage, Marvel hasn't gone sort of, for lack of a better phrase, balls out at this point. They're still, as they introduce each character, they're still mm. cautious, as if each one could fail. Yeah, well, here's the other thing as well. Um, so, um, this was the final Paramount Pictures film. So, were they involved? What other Marvel films were they involved in? So, Disney essentially bought Marvel. Like they made the bid to buy Marvel in yes. 2009. Mm-hmm. The final thing that they bought Marvel was 2010. Now, Paramount Pictures had a six picture, six picture, picture deal. Yes. Um, with Marvel. That led up to Iron Man 3. Interesting. So that was Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, um, Um, uh, Thor. No, 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 Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2, Thor, Cap. Oh, wait, no. Hulk wasn't included because Hulk is separate. It's... Um, Hulk is universal, I believe. Interesting. Yeah. I know floating around online there was, I don't think it's valid anymore, but this like super complicated Venn diagram sort of showing where all the different Marvel uh, characters were, yeah. given that they'd sold that, them off. They, the person who created that updates it every time. Really? Yeah, it's really cool. I assume this. Per- I assume based on that information alone that this person is single and very lonely. Hey, we're doing this and we're not single and lonely. No, but I am married and very unhappy. Again, just just a joke. Now I understand why your wife beats you. Wow! Oh, oh so I'm I'm the one who takes it too dark, and then you go straight to a, a domestic violence joke. Yes. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so Let's steer the shit di- around. Yes. Let's get back on track. So basically, what happened was Disney bought um, the last two pictures out. So like, Disney had bought. Uh, sorry, Disney had bought Marvel. And then they finally bought the rights for the last two films. So they bought Avengers and Iron Man 3 from... From uh, Universal? From Paramount Pictures. Okay. So then that... um, Yeah, so they they bought out the rest of the deal, essentially the contract. So Captain America, the first Avenger, was the last Paramount Pictures film. So I feel like once Disney got it, that's when they're like, Money, money, money. Do you reckon at that point they were a little bit... I just for people listening, um, Billy also did a dance, and it was very erotic. I'm very glad that you couldn't see it; otherwise, you'd probably have an awkward train boner right now, as I do. Yes. Um, so yeah, that was the last uh, Paramount Pictures film. So I feel like that might be another reason why there's extra money in the bank. Interesting. So once or Disney, maybe once Disney got full control, they were sort of a bit more a bit more cocky and could kind of throw more money at it. Yes. 
But I mean, because I remember uh, when Avengers sort of like, the weeks before it came out, and certain like everyone I think, was nervous. Yeah, I remember that Pat Knowles. I believe it was Pat Knowles. Well, no, Will Wheaton saw it and told everyone it's fine, it's good, and there was this sort of sigh of relief. Not everyone likes Will Wheaton. That's the thing. No, but. Uh, I, I'm not particularly a fan, but my point is that he held enough nerd cred that it it made a lot of people relax. I know, but the people that they, the, the sometimes the celebrities that are put up as these top nerds to look yeah. at, up to aren't always the best. But Dilly, he's been on the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> like you can sometimes Kevin Smith, I roll my eyes at. Like I like wait, Kevin oh, Smith. Wait, you only sometimes roll your eyes at Kevin Smith. He's, yes. No, I liked his films growing up. Like, I still like some of them as well. Well, teenage boys are his target market. Yes. Um, But yeah, no, look, I mean, like, whereas Pat and Oswald, yes, totally. He's my bro. He's my bro. Yeah, I'd I'd probably... uh, I'm trying to think which one out of him or Will Wheaton, whose opinion I trust more. Yeah, probably Patton, because he hasn't been on... I assume he hasn't been on Big Bang Theory. Yeah, he's more earnest. Yeah, I think so. Whereas Will Wheaton, you kind of feel like at this point he's... Shackled himself to the nerd bad wagon that he kind of has to be on board with everything. You, you want, you just want Patrick Stewart to come and just slap him. Wait, does does Picard slap Wesley? No, he just tears him a new one because he did something wrong. Wesley, oh, okay. you idiot. <laughs> um, but want, anyway, back to. Do we want to sort of Cap. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the actors involved in this? Because it's well, what what do you what did you think of the film? Oh, okay, all right, let's do it. Um, so. This is, from memory, the third time I've seen this film. First time I saw it in cinemas on a bad date. I dug it. I enjoyed it. Um, did you date enjoy it? Did my... Date enjoy it? I can't remember. I think so. I remember because I was... How old was I at the time? I should, probably shouldn't say because I used the I used the yawn arm over move. I'm not, I'm not proud of that, Billy, but that was sort of... It's all right, listeners. I'm judging him right now. <laughs> Um, but to be honest, at that point in the date, I figured out in my mind that this person was nice, but very clearly not for me. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for an arm around, see it, see it, see if it works. And it did. Okay. Um, so did you like the film initially? So initially I liked it. Second time I saw it and I think I put it on a pedestal in my mind. Second time I was like, this movie's goofy and shit. And then the third time, because I came in with those low expectations and... I think early on I may I realized in my mind that oh this film like you never you're not meant to take it seriously in any way like it's just it's just all all pulp and mm. we're going to talk about it a bit later suddenly I clicked in and I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit well I really enjoyed it the first time enjoyed it the second third fourth fifth okay second, I feel like at this time you're just you're just shitting on me yes I am taking big big patriotic American flag dump on you. Um, <laughs> It's super, it, well, yeah. Image. Yes, <laughs> it's super soldier-like and everything. <laughs> um, but no, look, I really enjoy it. But that's the thing. I like pulp films. I, I grew up reading, you know, my dad's Phantom comics, um, and whatever other comics he had, like Flash Gordon and all all that sort of stuff. I like I how like... you're you said you're a fan of pulp and then you lost steam on two examples. <laughs> Excuse me, they are examples of no, pop. Yeah, like they are. The Shadow as well. What about, were you Phantom Kid? Phantom Kid. Like, uh, Into the Phantom. Um, yeah, no, I meant, the, well, that's the, that's the first comics, they were the only comics in the house, so that was my first sort of... Oh, you've poor hard done comics. by Billy, only Phantom comics in the house. Hey, no, look, 
they're pretty they're pretty good comics and for any international listeners I've, I'm not actually sure if the Phantom was made by an Australian but it has like a really weird uh, place here it's sort of like he's almost treated like an Australian superhero yeah. Australians have a, we- a very odd affection for the Phantom and it, to this day you can get Phantom con- comics at like most news agencies yeah I mean I grew up on like Defenders of the Earth as well what's Defenders of the Earth? Defenders of the Earth is like a uh, a super team, almost Avengers type thing, with the Phantom Mandrake. The Mandrake the Magician. Yeah. Yep. Flash Gordon, Lothar. Seriously, you don't know, Defenders of the Earth. Haven't heard all. of them. And to be honest, I feel like given that the Phantom's just like a punching guy in a purple suit, I don't know if he's up to defending the Earth. I. <sighs> all right. He has um... the strength of ten tigers. Seriously. Wait, the strings, ten tigers. Who? Yeah, but how? Okay, how big are each of these tigers? Give it's ten tiger cup. That's not overly impressive, Billy. Defenders of the earth. Defenders. Out of the sky, his rockets ignite. Jets into battle, flying faster than light. Flash Gordon, Lord of the Jungle, the hero who stalks. The beasts call him brother. The gods to war. Master of magic spells and illusion Enemies crumble in fear and confusion And drink Defenders of the Earth Defenders His strength is a legend His skills conquer all Armed with his power We never will fall Defenders of the Earth Defenders Without new young heroes Proving their worth Four become eight Defending the Earth Sorry, listeners, we paused the podcast for a moment so I could show the intro to the Defenders of the Earth cartoon and, to Christoph. And the premise was that Billy wanted to show me how awesome it was, and I feel like you've just affirmed my uh, pre-existing belief that it's shit. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Anyway. Look, so yeah, I grew up on pop, so I really enjoyed this. I mean, I love the Rocketeer as well. Like, I was going to ask that, because the Rocketeer sort of treads fairly similar territory. Yeah. World War II hero, Nazi, Nazis about, yes. I assume. Does like, it even like fight Nazis? Uh, yeah, no, it is. Um, I think it's... No, uh, Timothy Dalton's in it. And Timothy Dalton's a Nazi. Okay, does he play a Nazi, or is he actually... He's like one of those undercover Nazis, like, as in... Oh, oh right. <laughs> oh, oh boy, oh boy. Um, no, like he's he's one of those ones that are like you know deep undercover, like playing an actor in America type thing, oh, but secretly yes. stealing. So like stuff. a what do they call them, like sleeper agents or whatever who like yeah, blend but, in and yeah. So, but yeah, no, there's Nazis in that as well. Like I, so I really enjoy pulp type heroes and stuff like that. Even like um, yeah, no, so, yeah. Well, that's why this one drew. A good, I don't know. It felt. Did it feel fun. nostalgic almost? Like yeah. sort of hitting those buttons from when you were a kid. Yeah, and look, I was never a huge Captain America fan. I mean, I have over the years because I, I explained this on some of the other, on some of the other episodes. Um, I was always the Spider Man and the X Men person. My two other mates, they're like Avengers and Cap, and Iron Man. We swap comics and read. 
Um, so I'd read that cap stuff, and I would enjoy the cap stuff to some extent, but I was very like, ugh, it's just a dude in goody two shoes and a flag type thing. That's why I don't. I was a huge fan of Superman. Some Superman stories. When they sort of push the truth, justice, and the American, American way, way type thing. Yeah. Um, but like, there's nothing wrong with that. It just didn't strike an accord with me. But there was some like the Ed Brubaker run of Captain America, which we'll talk about more um, for Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I was going to say, yeah, it's hugely influential on Winter yeah, Soldier. We'll wait for that. So that one and some of the current storylines for Cap, um, I can't remember the name of the. I think some of the Wade. I think Mark Wade Mark. wrote some Captain America. Yeah, as he well. did. He he certainly did. I think he may have done. Did he do the Nomad stuff? Yeah, um, and then there was the other run, where which was him in the negative zone. I can't remember the name of the writer who did it. Okay, it was before um, the current run, which was um, the- Bad Cap. Oh, before, no, uh, that was Rick Remender and he cast away yeah, Dimension Rick, Z. That yeah, was Rick, not, I didn't, I was not a fan of Remender's run on Parts uh, of Remender's run I, I enjoyed. Um, okay. But yeah, so, like, going into this film, I was like, yeah, alright, I mean, I've been enjoying Brubaker's run, so I might enjoy this, and yeah, it was. And I mean, I like Chris Evans as well. Well, speaking of Evans, let's talk about the actors. Yes. Um, I can't really think of a more perfect person to play Captain. Like, Evans is so the role. Yeah. Much, much like Chris Hemsworth has become Thor, I think I'm always going to associate Chris Evans with with Cap. Well, th- uh, funny you should mention that, because he declined the role three times. Wow. Yeah, uh, before accepting it. Um, not out of dislike, like he liked the role. But apparently he was worried about the effects of sudden, you know, increase of fame would do to his life, private life. But apparently Robert Downey Jr. was the one to convince him to take the part and, you know, gain the freedom to sign on any other role he'd want after that. Which, ironically enough, every role he signed on since has pretty much just been another Cap film. Yeah, but this thing, he's done comic book films as well. Like, he was in Scott Pilgrim. He was, and also, of course, the Human Torch in the ill-fated... Uh, Fantastic Four double. Yeah, the one where they had... Fantastic Four, and then there was Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yes, that's correct. Those those two films are better than the the, the other, one, the new the, one, the Josh Trank one. Yeah, yeah, but you, I hate it when they give like an edgy director a superhero property. It's fucking superheroes. Don't be edgy with it. Just do it justice. Just yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Um. Now. So Chris Evans, uh, and of course we have Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Who plays the um sort of like the grumpy army? Uh, is he a, is he a general or? A... Um, I believe he's like he's sort of like colonel. A colonel. He's sort of the top brass that uh mm. the cap has to impress. And God, Tommy Lee Jones plays like grumpy old man so well. Yeah, like he. You know what? Putting like he almost. It's like he was one of his other characters where he's like you know, mm. he comes across like the grumpy. Person, but deep down he has a heart of gold type thing. I almost expected him to bring out like what is it that memory eraser pen from um, the neuralizers from Men in Black. Yeah, <laughs> well, funny you should mention Men in Black. So at the end of the film, near the end, does Will Smith come out and do a rap? No, but near the end of this, where like Peggy and um, Colonel Chester Phillips, who Tommy Jones play, yes, they're in like um, the Red Skulls car. That's right, the and Nazi dro- Yeah, the Nazi mobile. And caps on it, and they're trying to race to the plane. Oh, yeah, I'm... he presses a red button, which makes it go faster, and the red button says K. 
I didn't pick that up. Amazing. Especially because they're in a hangar, which kind of resembles a tunnel from when it happens in Men in Black. Exactly. And he tells him, don't press the red button. And then, yes, <gasps> press the red button and it boosts forward. Amazing. You know, that's a nice throwback. I, I completely miss that. And that makes me appreciate this movie a lot more, knowing yes. that there was a Men in Black reference there. Um, yes. Of course, Hayley Atwell as Agent Carter. Oh, my God. Hayley Atwell the is the best. Um, yeah, she is. It's like she was born to play this role. You know what makes me sad is that after doing the Agent Carter TV show, like, I don't really know if she's... Maybe she's in something I haven't seen, but... Oh, yeah, no, she's in, been in a few BBC dramas. Okay. Um, she was on a show in the US, but I think it only lasted a season, mm. which sucks. Yeah, because also they left it on, like, a... Not a cliffhanger for Agent Carter... A cliffhanger for one of the other characters in season two. You, I haven't actually. I I saw a couple of episodes of Agent Carter. I like the character of Agent Carter. This show didn't grab me because the superhero sort of like sci-fi stuff was really boring. It's really good. You should check it out. Okay. All right. Maybe because I do look. My point is, I hope Haley Atwell's still getting work and doing well. Yeah. She's a fantastic well, this thing. Every like it like she's in various um, of the MCU films. Like she's in Ant Man. She, oh, she is too. Yeah, she's in, but mean, she didn't like makeup there, and she's in Cap Two in full yeah. old lady makeup, I believe. Yes, I mean she's she's in makeup in Ant Man as well, like older. Yeah, she's sort of like a midpoint between where she is in the in um in with the soldier and where she is in Ant in where she is when we first meet her. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Anyone else of note in this film? Oh, Hugo Weaving. Yes, as, so uh, Hugo as Weaving Skull. as the Red Skull. Um, look, great portrayal, as always, by Hugo Weaving. He plays great villains. Yeah, I think in this film, the way the Red Skull was written was pretty, too, like, two-dimensional. I mean, I haven't read enough of uh, Cap Comic where Red Skull's a villain to know if he can ever really be a three-dimensional character. But, I mean, he's like... Well, in, in the comics, initially, what, the, the Red Skull was... Hitler sort of picked someone from, like... Um, not Hitler Youth, but younger, and originally Hitler Daycare. Hitler Daycare, like it's not sorry, not younger, but like okay. it's like one of the um, younger army officials, like someone who's shown promise or like young and ambitious sort of yeah, recruit. and he recruited him to be his Red Skull for the thing. Like so, it was actually a costume and a face mask that he put on in the in the original. Originally, it was like that, but then like some accident happened, and it actually got like a Red Skull. Um, but yeah, he just like the character, the the character of the Red Skull to me is he's a good villain because he's sort of smart and a lazy, elaborate, elaborate, sadistic traps for Cap. Like he's as, he's as demented and evil as Cap is good and sort of pure yeah, of heart. That's it's... what makes him interesting, not the actual like as a his motivation is usually like I want to destroy Captain America, I want to take over the world and kill people that aren't like me. Yeah, like it's he's very like he he has all the ideals of in the comics he has all the ideals of the Nazi party. Yeah, that sort of superiority and yeah. a fascist sort of agenda. Um, he's yeah, but you're right. He's essentially the other side of the coin of Cap. Um, someone else who pops up. She doesn't do a big role, but uh, Natalie Dormer. Yeah, pops up in this film, which at the time wasn't a big deal, but it's interesting seeing these actors that have blown up like she has. From Game of Thrones. Yeah, she plays Marjorie Terrell in Game of Thrones. Yeah, of course. She was also in the Hunger Games yes. uh, films. To sort of see her just in a fairly minor role in this film. Yeah. As well, I mean, blonde lady one who makes out with Captain America. Exactly. Um, two other like sort of characters in this. They're not really cameos. I mean, 
people would call them cameos now because they're known actors. But uh, Jenna Coleman, isn't it? She's playing. Jenna Coleman is Clara Oswin from uh, Doctor Who. Yes. Um, and also Richard Armitage, who you know from Th- Thorin Oakenshield from the Hobbit films. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, he's playing High. Heinz Kruger, who is like, you know, an undercover operative and is the one who attacks... And kills Dr. Erskine. Yeah, Dr. Erskine. Which sort of sets the Captain America mythos in motion, I guess, about yeah. that he can be the only one. All right, well, Billy, how do you feel about us moving on to, um, to pickups? Yep, sure thing. So, for those who might be tuning in for the first time, pickups is when we sort of go through some things we sort of that suck out to us on this viewing of the film. We usually try and uh, talk about things that we may have not picked up on previous on previous views, maybe certain themes that came out, scenes that we really enjoyed, things that we didn't enjoy about the film, um, or we discuss. And plus, in this segment, we also have uh, a thing we do called Stanwatch, where we talk about the Stanley cameo, mm-hmm. and we also uh, talk about the post-credits scene as well. All right, well, Billy, do you want to jump in, or do you want me to start you with start the film? All right. Well, we've already brought her up, so let's talk about Agent Carter. Yeah. Um, I think we're both on the same page. He's uh, just a great character. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a shame that... I mean, I know you haven't seen it, but it's a shame that Agent Carter, like the TV show, didn't get at least one more season. I feel like it needed that. I know a lot of... Like, that. it got a fairly fervent fan following, like a very dedicated fan following. Yeah, I mean, because I think you've mentioned it. Like, whereas Cap is a man out of time in the modern era... Hallie Atwell is a woman out of time in her own era. Yeah, I and that definitely comes at, I f- across very strongly in this film, this fact that, and I, in the show it's done a lot as well, the fact that men expect her to be a certain way by virtue of her being a like, woman in this time, and she's not like that. She's like, no, fuck this shit, sorry. I can do a job as, as good as an, any other man can. I think one of the first, like, the one of the first times we see her on the army base, she, like, punches that dude who gives a mouth. Yeah. That's sort of, I think that's sort of the first time we see her in action and sort of lays out the character she is. The fact that she's aware that men are constantly belittling her mm. and the fact that she doesn't really give a shit most of the time. But when she does give a shit, she goes into action and shuts. Yeah, I did read that Hallie Atwell based it off, like, um, the actress Ginger Rogers, who is known for, like, you know, taking, I can do whatever anyone else can type thing. Interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, it definitely stands out about the character is the fact that she's... I mean, she's really the only female protagonist in this film. Uh, and uh, the main sort of uh, male protagonist that she is paired with a lot of the time is Cap, of course, who's this sort of super... By the definition of the character, this super-powered uh, super soldier. And she can hold her own. Yes, she can. And she's a force to be reckoned with. And... I think near the in the third act of the film when they're raiding the uh, Red Skull's last sort of Hydra base, she actually saves Cap yeah. when he's without his shield, and I think it's a Hydra goon with like flamethrowers, and she shoots shoots a goon. Yeah. Um. All right, Billy. Yeah. So I I feel like there's not much else to say about uh, Agent Carter except that she's great and yeah. one of the strongest parts of the film. Yes, she is. Um. So I wanted to bring up the Howling Commandos. Yeah. You weren't a fan of them. So the Howling Commandos no. were, um, in the comics, um, Stan Lee and, so initially, okay, so initially with, with Cap, um, when he was in the comics, it was Captain America, 
um, in the Captain America comics. It was Captain America and um, Bucky. Yes. It was his kid sidekick as well, which is a difference in this film that we can talk about. Um, and then there was also um, the Human Torch uh, yep. and Namor. Well, they're the, in- they're the invaders. Yeah, later, later known as the invaders. Yeah. Um, and there was also, I think, Union Jack as well. He was like the British part That's of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, the mandatory British character that you need yeah, in all World War Two films. Yeah, and Spitfire as well. She was like a that's right. A, a, she a flame lady as well. Yeah, flame lady. Um, <laughs> so that was more created by um, the creator. That was in the comics by the that the creator of Captain America, which is Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. They did all that stuff. The Invaders. Um, the Howling Commandos, though, I believe it was created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. So that was like um, Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. So that was like Nick Fury. So Nick Fury, you know, World War World War Two era type Nick Fury. Intra- See, in the comics, Nick Fury's been around since World War Two because he's taken this serum. Which the is, Infinity Formula. Yeah, which has made him young. Whereas that's not the case in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, you know what, I find it interesting... And this is something that, I mean, comics are going to consistently have trouble with because uh, the characters essentially stay stagnant, is the fact that when key moments in the life are, are fixed in uh, in like a real-world time event, like Captain America in World War II, um, as the real world ages, suddenly things things change. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I what, is it, what does Fury say at the end of the film when he tells Captain he's been sleeping for, like, I think it's like... 70 years? Yeah. Whereas before it was like 50 years and when they first brought back Cap back in the 60s it would have been like you've been sleeping for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And um and with Nick Fury it's interesting that I don't know if this is the case but it feels like almost out of necessity that in the comic books they've had they've had to be like fuck this guy's the same age he's been around since World War 2 we better let's let's write a story about it. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure I don't think they've actually brought up Nick Fury in the Infinity Formula or anything like that. No, they they haven't. But my yeah. understand I don't know if this is correct or not, but my understanding was that when like Cap wakes up in the modern world, he uh, rightly uh, assumes that it could be a Nazi trick. Yeah. And I thought that like seeing Nick Fury is one of the things that sort of calms him down mm-hmm. because he remembers Nick Fury. Whereas in this film, Nick Fury is like, you're in New York, welcome to the future. And Cap's like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess this can't be a yeah. Nazi trick then. Um, so the Howling Commandos, um, in this film, it's... Uh, Dum Dum Dugan, who's yep. played by Neil McDonough. McDonough. Neil McDonough, and yeah. I hated Dum Dum Dugan. Why? He is exactly how Dum Dum Dugan is in the comics. Okay, I. You know what? This is probably on me rather than the valid criticism. I always expected that he sort of had like, because he was re- like a deeper register, and just sort of like I didn't. Neil McDonough's Dum Dum Dugan's like very sort of charming and charismatic. Yeah. And I just assumed he was more sort of like a, a workhorse sort of grunting sort of character. Okay. That's on me. Um, but uh, I, I couldn't stand him. Yeah, so he's been like, you know, the right-hand man of, um, of Nick Fury in the comics. In this... He's sort um, of the leader of the Howling Commanders. Uh, yeah, under, under Cap. Yeah. Um, there's Gabriel Jones... Who is played by Derek Luke? Um, his grandson. Is he the French? No, no, that's this is the African American. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but that's right. The character could speak French. Yeah, he could speak French. Um, 
And his grandson um, shows up in Agents of Shield, which is kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. That's, well, that's, oh. I like that whole bridging thing. I like that. You, you know, know they're what? kids or family or whatever. I, feel I like, like it, that as, as a universe. It's, I, okay, it's, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I get that, except it feels like, you know what, we couldn't get Chris Evans... So we've got this guy who's related to this guy who was around Cap because we can't get Cap for this show because the show's stupid and nobody... No, look, it's not stupid, but it just... It it just feels very B-grade when they have to do that. When they have to be like, we can't get Thor, but here's this other character well, that was in a Thor movie. You're going to hate this one. Um, so Commando Jim Morita, which is played by Kenneth Choi. Yes. Um, he's been in various, fil- various films. Kenneth Choi shows up in Spider-Man Homecoming as well, as the principal of Peter's school. Doing double duty. Well, he's the grandson of the character from the Helen Commandos. I, is he, I, like, in canon? Is that yeah, what the... Yeah. Per- oh my goodness. Why does it matter? Who gives a shit about Spider-Man's principal? Yeah. Um, oh. And then there's the other character, um, James Montgomery Falsworth, who's played by J.J. Field. I assume he's a British character. No, he's the British character. That's his name, James Montgomery Falsworth. That's... Um, he in the comics is Union Jack. So really, yeah. That's so I feel like him and and the Helen Commandos being there is a slight nod to the whole Cap having the invaders because I feel like they couldn't really have the invaders because the um, Namor is not owned by Marvel, so he couldn't be in the invaders or do anything like but that. But also, I think it's just too much to fit into this film. I mean, well, I mean, I feel like it. Like, all the war films, like, they've, they've got to have, like, sort of a troop. I mean... Like a... Yeah, and I guess I mean, the obvious Wonder comparison Woman is Wonder like, Woman. Yeah. She has her own version of the Howling Commandos, where she's got a, a Native American and um, and Chris Pine's character, yeah. uh, Steve Travers, and some other people who I've forgotten. Steve but, Trevor. Steve, sorry, Steve Tra- Travers. Steve Trevor. Yeah. Um, and she's sort of got a, a ragtag, diverse band of people around her, much the same way Kappa, yeah. Cap does in this film. Um, speaking of the invaders, at the beginning of the film, um, so Cap is walk, Cap is with Bucky and they're going to like a world's fair or... Yes, the, yeah. The, the, I don't think it's the Stark fair, yeah. I think it's just the world's fair and Stark... Yeah, Stark's father's doing something at it. Yeah. Would it, side note, Dominic Cooper, how do you feel about him as Stark's father? I like him as a young, young, um, sort of Tony Stark. He's a bit goofy. Uh, Howard Stark. Yeah, I think he brings sort of like a goofy playfulness to the role. Yes. Um, and Sorry. I like that he's he's young and they still have um, the other actor um, yeah, um, playing the older Howard Stark. Oh, whose name I've forgotten, but I know he's Roger Sterling in Mad Men. Yes. Anyway, I'll let you get back to your point. Um, so, on the invaders, there's a slight little Easter egg. When it's sort of camera panning, you see this jar and what looks like... Um, a suit or like a mannequin yeah yeah that's um what's it called the um Phineas Horton synthetic man is that a reference to the human torch the human torch because was the human torch a robot the yeah the original one? human torch was like an android ah uh, okay interesting ah that's a fun little little easter egg I guess the yeah. people who picked it up I certainly did not but um interesting notes in there I think, yeah, you couldn't do an Invaders film as a first Cap film. It's too no. much. Yeah. Especially given that I think 
Uh, the one that you're gonna have to put all of them in there, like all the villains. Like, like you're almost gonna have to have Hitler sitting down with his upper cell, which is like you know, Red Skull helmet, helmet Zemo, Colonel Klinger. Yes, Wolfgang Wait, Strucker. No, is, it, is it Colonel? Kl- no, Colonel Klinger is from Oh my God, Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. Wait, no, he's from Mash. Oh, yeah, Mash. Sorry. But is is there oh, one wait, from No, who who's Tom the one Dutch. from? Clink, sorry. Oh my goodness, Clink. so... Can I... is the one from Mash who always tries to dress like a woman so he gets dismissed from the army. Yes. Which at the time Which, was funny, uh, and now Oh my not, god, it's so funny, yeah. And now is very insensitive. Yes. Um, look, so I, I guess my point was going to be that, yeah, like... I, yeah, I felt like... I mean, part of me, the inner nerd in me, would have been like, oh my god, it would have been so cool to, like, you know, see much. Hitler with all these, like, you know... <laughs> He's up to see cell. Hitler. Is that what you're after? You uh, go no, to Captain Hitler, America because you want to see no, fucking Hitler. Like, you know, Hitler talking to his upper echelon, yeah. and it's like Wolfgang Strucker um, with Zemo. Know, Zemo, but like the other part of me is like, no, it would work. Things that work in the comics do not always translate well to this. And again, because Cap film. wasn't as well known as he was at this point, right? No, yeah, he was. No, I think Chris Evans and the films have exploded Cap's yeah, no, popularity. Um, no, I mean, Cap, the street has, cred. Cap has always been like, um, for Marvel, like... He's kind of like their D- trinity, right? Yeah, yeah. So DC's trinity is like Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman. Superman yes. Marvel's trinity has always been Iron Man, Thor, Cap. Yes, but I would say outside of comics, yeah, those characters carry no, very little weight. Whereas, like, I think before these films hit... To the average person on the street, yeah. Spider-Man would be the bigger Marvel character. Oh, yeah, and Wolverine. Totally. Whereas, yeah. I think with DC, like, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman have always been their biggest character, yeah. and are Whereas, always their biggest, like, characters just to the average Joe yeah. who doesn't read comics. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, to the average Joe, Cap is just, like, you know... I'm pretty sure that's also why it didn't do well. Well, did not didn't do well. That's why it didn't make as much as the other films did at the cinema. Oh, especially given that Iron Man was very subversive, whereas Cap was a return to traditional, clean-cut sort of superhero stuff. Yeah, and everyone probably doesn't want to go see, go watch a movie about a Boy Scout. Yeah, I think. Look, I think they do. I think they do it. Um, they do the character justice. I think when he snapped the Red Skull's neck, that was a bit much. That's it. You're confusing Man of Steel. Oh, I'm. I'm so sorry. Yes. Um, something. Do you mind if I quickly transition? Yeah, yeah. What's what's your um? Well, this is a pickup they noted throughout the film, which is consistently. You, I wonder if this is an official document or just sort of going off previous films. The screenwriters and people coming into these Marvel films know how to handle it, but there seems to be the unwritten rule in the Marvel films that like superheroes don't kill. And what that means is that sure, like Cap would have killed a whole bunch of people in this film, but you never actually see him do it. Well, you know, you don't, but you do see him with a handgun. But that's what film. that's what I mean. So but like, you don't see the bullet from his gun no, connecting a killer yeah, guy. You see it's, it's very clever. Yeah, it's off screen. Yeah, like you never see a superhero kill, and I think that was part of the issue of Man of Steel. Was you fucking see Superman? Like, at least you could have just inferred that he kills him. Yeah. But you whereas, actually saw him snap the neck. Yeah. Whereas in this one, you see a lot of in this. You see a lot of people being evaporated by those, like, mm. shock rifles. I think the only bloody death I saw was when he's on the buzz bomb near the end of it, and that him and a Hydra agent are tra- uh, strapped on this plane, and the yeah. Hydra agent falls off and hits the propeller and becomes red dust. Yes. But apart from that, it's a very fairly bloodless film. Yeah. 
Um, so I just, yeah, I just thought it was really very uh, clever how they sort of, yeah, how Cap, even though he's like a soldier in a war, you never really see him kill. No. And I mean, speaking of him, like, being a soldier, initially, does, I like that initially that he's not a soldier in that they don't want to lose him, so they get, get him to advertise selling war bonds. What I did... like that. I Because, love... I mean, part of the whole mythos is, like, they did sell Captain America comics, films, reels and stuff during that period of World War. It's... You know, and this is something I have... Like, the Captain America comic that's in the, in the movie. Yeah, of course. It's the, the actual Captain, Captain America comic. This is, in all American war films, is sort of the emphasis of how hard it is for America being in the war and how keen America is to get in there. And I, I, what pisses me off about it is the fact that America came in near the end of World mm. War II. And, they, and like the first Captain America comic came out before America was involved in the war. Yeah, from my understanding, it was... I don't know Captain how America comics came before. out in... It, well, on the cover it says March 1941, but it wasn't released until December. Interesting. And they got flack, of, flack for it. Of course. Because on the front cover of the first issue, it was him punching Hitler. Because it was two Jewish dudes who freaking hated, understandably hated Hitler. I yeah. believe Joe Simon was Jewish. I could be... Jack um, Kirby certainly was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, Alright, do you have a pick up or do you want me to come up with a, another You do one? another one. Okay. Alright. So, something I wanted to bring up, I guess this sort of feeds into the, the how clean cut this war is. Uh, the war is portrayed in this film is the fact that the way Hydra is handled, uh, specifically the fact that it's a Nazi, you know, in the comics, the Nazi science, like how, yeah, in the comics it was set up post World War Two. Really? So really it wasn't that. even during World War Two. It was sort. Of, see, that's the thing with Cap. Cap fights a lot of Cap's villains in the comics are a lot of these sort of fringe like Nazi adjacent yeah Nazi adjacent or try <laughs> like um, another one I was going to think of besides Hydra there's also AIM um, that's more I think tech based so it's, I think it's more Iron yeah. Man but I think they're somewhat involved with Cap as well I... uh, which is advanced idea mechanics that's right well I just assumed that like these evil organisations have to get their equipment from somewhere yeah so Hydra has always been like a a shield baddie hmm. um um, but yeah, his cap is all, always versus them. Another one is the Serpent Society. Yes, and they're related to Hydra in some way. Uh, I think some of them sometimes <laughs> they like yeah. moonlight for Hydra. Yeah, moonlight for Hydra type thing, and sometimes like I think they a lot of the times work for um, the Red Skull as well. But they're like the Serpent Society is always like sort of you know feel disenfranchised. It's sort of like how, like it makes me think of like G.I. Joe Cobra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like serpent, um, certain or reptilian villains or societies are fairly like a common sort of trope. Yeah, like it's like I hate the man type thing. The man. So I'm going to put on a snake costume. Yeah, and you know domestic terrorism type thing. Um, but yeah, I guess my we'll, we'll circle back. My point was that they make a lot of effort, uh, conscious effort in this film. To distance Hydra from Nazis. Yeah. So the the Hydra costumes are different. They have their own salute. The Red Skull, I believe, in the comics would wear a swastika band, and this he doesn't. And the only Nazi imagery on his uniform is an is a very small Imperial eagle on his helmet. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, not on his helmet, on his hat. And apart from that, 
like they make it and you brought this point up really well Billy that it's more becomes evident that he was using Hitler to get where he wanted to be he didn't have any particular attachment to Hitler's ideology necessarily yeah and I feel like a lot of the times in the comics that sort of it was initially like that um, and then like he worked for Hitler Helmut Zimmer sort of thing um, but then it was all like you know once they could see that, you know, Hitler... Hitler was a bad guy? No, more Hitler, like, you know... Breaking news. Didn't have any sort of... Um, like you're running scope out or anything beyond this point. That's when they're like, you know, I like this taste of power. I want it for my own type thing. Interesting. I guess it's funny that there's sort of that clear delineation point between, like... Hitler in a comic book villain is that Hitler's ambitions were too small. Yeah. So the Red Skull is like, no, my ambition is larger. Um, do you have another pickup? If not, I've got one I'm keen to bring up. Yeah, you bring yours up. Uh, so something I wanted to bring up um, is the man out of time elements, which okay. is a huge part of the, the Cap sort of uh, mythos. And I would say appeal of the character is the fact that in the 60s, the character was brought back. He was de- defrosted from ice. So after the war, he was... He, like, I think it was in a plane crash or on a yeah, bomb? Yeah, so what happened was, um, in the comics, um, he was... I think it was... Yeah, it was Helmut Zemo. Um, he had a sort of drone plane that was going to be targeted towards New York. Similar to what's in this... In this um, um, similar to what was in this movie where, like, the Red Skull the had the... Bomb plane things that yeah. the Hydra guys were flying yeah, out and they all had plane. different cities on them. Um, and in it, what Cap and Bucky were both strapped to it, and they tried to, you know, um, stop the bomb from blowing up. Yeah, and, reaching and Cap, target. of course, gets stuck on it and gets frozen. No, yeah, so Cap falls off. And into oh. the icy waters of the Atlantic or something. And then um, Bucky stays on it and manages to get it to explode. And that Buck, that's how Bucky dies. And that's how Cap gets frozen in the water. And then he's like, you know, found in, I think it was the fourth issue of Avengers. So that was like early 60s. Interesting. And revived and then becomes part of the Avengers. And so... I guess the reason I want to bring out the Man in Time stuff is because it's such a big part of the character now. Mm. But obviously this whole film doesn't have that element except right at the end with sort of that five-minute scene where he wakes up in the in uh, present-day well, New York. I feel like he has it a little bit in that, like, he has all these old-school ideals um, from being, like... The, like, he has these earnest ideals from someone who's, you know, had life shitted on him pre-Super Soldier Serum mm. and now that he has the Super Soldier Serum body he's very like bringing those ideals and they're like you know I, mean, I think Erskine says it it's like be a good man keep like that's the reason why it failed for the Red Skull because he was a bad man yes it enhances bad but I would say that's part of the necessity of the the character is the fact that he sort of has to have what we establish as good wholesome values but really he doesn't, because if he did, he'd be very racist. If yes. he actually had, like, proper 1940s values, he'd oh, be yeah. incredibly racist. Yes. And very homophobic, and he's yes. none of those things. He wouldn't have the Falcon as his best mate. No, certainly not. Yes. Certainly, certainly not. Um, 
Yeah, I, I felt that, that like five minute scene at the end uh, where he wakes up in the present and sort of tries to make sense of it. I think that's kind of the strongest part of the I film. I did get teary at the end. It was like, oh, I missed my date. That, that's right. Yeah, that sort of that. I liked that it also grounded it in sort of a personal thing for Cap, a reminder that everything he knew is is gone. gone. Every, like everyone he knows is pretty much dead now or in hospital. And they talk about that in the in the next film, which we will talk about. That's kind in the of second funny. one, that's right. The joke about my barbershop quartet is dead, so I have a free Saturday night. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, something I wanted to talk about was uh, Armin Zola. So that's played by Toby Jones. He's a he's not a big man. He's a or at least in his, this film he was quite small. Yeah, um, I feel like he was a great, like he wasn't like top tier villain. He's like you know, the not henchman like a support villain. Like you have your big yeah. villain and he's yeah. I mean yeah. if he, if there was an Academy Award for best supporting villain, he would get it. Mm. Um, oh, the villainies. Yes, um, but I like so in the comics. Um, Armin He's like Zola, a head, isn't he? Well, yeah, Armin Zola has, you know, up, uploaded his consciousness into, like, a digital form and it has, like, a robot shell. Hmm. And the way you see him initially in the movie is, like, him looking into this um, distorted right. circle and you're thinking, oh, wait, well, is this what he's going to look like? No. And it's a throwback to that. It's just him looking through like a magnifying glass. Because I think uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe does this really well. That a lot of the comic book designs just don't translate to the screen. Yeah, I mean that's Armandola came around when was um, he? A, he feels like a Jack Kirby design. Yeah, it was when Kirby returned back to Marvel. Okay. Um, and it was like crazy, you know. He's a man who looks, you know, multicolored, big robot, and some of the security cameras in the movie. They look like so. What it is is like his face is here and the body, and then on it has the torso. like yeah, and on top of that, it's got like a robot. That's right, head. like and the sort of camera thing on top. Yeah, yeah, and that looks like some of the cameras that are in the facility. Interesting, and they also bring this up in the second film, uh, second cat film with Soldier, where he's like a digitized consciousness, or yeah. like there's an AI program based on yeah. him. So I like the way they sort of strip some of the elements of the character and sort of distribute them through the films without actually putting the comic book design on screen. Yes. Um, Dr. Erskine. I... I felt like it's Stanley Tucci. He has... Stanley I, Tucci I, I can like do him. no wrong. He is one of my favourite actors. And I feel that he's just delightful as Captain Erskine. Uh, sorry. Captain Erskine. Yeah, Prof- Professor Abraham Erskine. He's got a real warmth to him, I think. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, like, I really enjoyed his portrayal, but I believe, like, off ca- off uh, Mike, you were talking about the, given that we've talked about three of the villains now, you wanted to bring something up about the accents. Yeah, uh, that's right. So the German accents in this film yeah. were, to me, pretty cartoony and bad. It felt like they'd learnt German accents from watching movies of other people doing German accents. Like, it felt like a photocopy of a German accent. Do you feel like that suits the whole pulp thing that I was talking about. Yeah, you know what? I'll give it to you. Because I, I think it flows in that follows that sort of uh, Indiana Jones sort of pulpy uh, heritage. Yeah, where, ways of making you talk. Yeah, where like Nazis aren't people as much as like just they're all the same. They all have the same atrocious accent. They all look the same and they're all evil. So it's so like it's fine to kill them. 
Yes. Essentially. And I think that certainly showed in this film that it's fine that, that off-screen Cap shot a whole bunch of people. They're Nazis. They're not real people. Yes. Um, now, we like to also talk about how... Um, oh, wait. Before we move on to... I was about to talk about how this links to the rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, and we, we certainly... Talk to, we like to talk about But before we do that, what did, what did you think of Bucky? Sebastian Stan as Bucky. Yeah, that's a good question. You brought up earlier that, of course, in the comics, he's a young, like, the kid psychic. I think him... I think really all that matters in the Cap and Bucky relationship is the fact that they're very... Like, they've been long friends and they're very close friends. Yeah. And I think he he did that really well. And there's, I think there was convincing chemistry between him and Cap. Mm. And he sort of felt like later on, uh, when he comes back after Cap's rescued him from the... Um, from the Hydra base in the around the middle of the film, he sort of has a downness. Interesting when he's when he's rescuing him. There's something interesting. Uh, that, yeah, they yeah. He's like being. I, I don't know, know. Brainwashed to become the Winter Soldier from Captain America, the Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. It's funny because I never thought you don't think anything of it in this film, but coming back to it, it does feel rather heavy-handed. The setup. Yeah, it's what I discussed off mic. The whole this film feels very law-like there's all this stuff that we've talked about and feels like it's setting up the it's the one that's most heavily set up the marvel universe like they've set up hydra Mm. for a while now as bad guys yes and this is the first official sort of shield before it's called shield versus hydra yeah and of um, course, at the beginning of the film, uh, the Red Skull alludes to um, Norse mythology. Yeah. Which we saw in the previous Thor film. And so the, it feels like a strong connection between yeah, the two. Yeah, and Idrisil, the world tree. Yes, of course. I feel like this film, um, while all that you would think is very heavy-handed, it's like, holy shit, how can I take all this in? It does a good job of still being able to grab all this lore and knowledge and everything and make a successful film that doesn't feel heavy-handed. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I think the amount of lore and stuff it's trying to... Sort, or how quickly it's trying to to um, expand the Marvel Universe, I think because it's like a faux period piece, I think you can get away with it, and it doesn't mm. feel particularly bogged down in it either. Yeah. Um, so do, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the universe stuff, or do we want to go to Yeah, I was thought, Like, I mean, the one thing that connects it between all the others... Is the fact that Disney gets money from it? I guess S.H.I.E.L.D. And there is also the Tesseract, the Cosmic Cube, that is in this. Yeah, that of course appears in the next film. Yes. And not that they did a whole bunch with the Tesseract, but it doesn't feel too... It, it, like, it works okay. It doesn't feel like it... It doesn't feel like the movie got ruined in order to set up the next film. No. Like, it, it's not the best device, and I don't... Like, you could get rid of the Tesseract and just have the, the, the Red Skulls just come up with a new better weapons and it, the movie still would have worked you didn't yeah. need the tesseract no and i I, it, I do like that they've changed things up in the marvel universe because i mean it's pretty much been said that the the tesseract is one of the infinity gems. yeah whereas it's its own thing yeah whereas in the comics um the tesseract is the cosmic cube it's cosmic cube but it's it's made it's like man-made it's like a scientific thing i didn't realize it was man-made yeah, i think it was like made by hydra and aim and it was like a device that could alter reality, bend, al- bend and alter reality based on the user, which um, the Red Skull used a lot in the comics. And of course, it's come up in um, in the latest uh, Cap storyline that everyone loved, Secret Empire. I mean, people yeah. would just just love that story. Yes. And um, 
And it also played a role in the comic book Winter Soldier arc as well. Yes. All right, well, do we want to... Are we right to jump into Stan Watch and have a look at the uh, After Credit Stinger, Billy? Yeah, right, let's do that. All right. Um, so, uh, I feel like the Stanley cameo is pretty stock standard. Yeah, like, a, a, a lot of people... Um, some people thought he shouldn't even be in it. Cause it's like, I would agree with that statement. He adds nothing. Yeah, but the whole thing is... Um, Stanley is having a cameo in things that he helped create, whereas he didn't really help create Captain America. That was made by. Oh, that was the. That was made by um, yeah. Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Yes. Now Jack Kirby has passed on. Um, Joe Simon had a few grievances with Marvel in regards to the rights of the character, which settled out of court twice, two separate occasions. Um, I believe he was even asked if he wants to make a cameo in the film, which I think he declined. But, I mean, the only thing that that Stanley did for Cap was bring it back in Avengers. So it's not like he created it, but he partly created some of the stuff in that's in Cap. Mm. So, I, I think part of the mythology, I mean, there's Stanley as an actual physical person in space of time, and there's Stanley the character. Yeah. And Stanley the character is now so... That in the mind of most people, in every Marvel thing. is so embedded with these films. Fun fact: Stanley might have to make a cameo in court uh, because apparently he's been was harassing his home nurses. Yes. Um, yeah, we're reading on comic book resources, and it, what it didn't surprise me not because I particularly thought Stanley was sleazy, although it doesn't surprise me sleazy that. Just old men in general. Yeah, he's like that creepy Mm. old grandpa that you see at a Christmas party. It's like, I saw Stanley talk at Supernova, and it felt exactly because I previously worked in a hospital, and it felt exactly like a patient in a hospital was chatting to me, except instead of about his job at like the, the in in like a store or in like a boring industry, he just happened to be the guy who created Spider Man. But it was just a classic old man story, really. Um, Look, I mean. So, do you want to actually... Shall we describe what actually happens in this cameo? Yeah, so Captain America is being rewarded for... Um, this is for rescuing the soldiers from yeah, the, um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. camp. Yeah, of the 107, sure, sorry. 107 Division, I think it Yeah, was. Bucky's Division from, yeah. sorry, the Hydra facility where they've been captured. Yeah. Um, but Cap, obviously, is doing war stuff. So <laughs> war, war stuff. War stuff, so he can't be there to, um, to accept the award. Medal. Someone else comes out and then it shoots to... Um, this sort of like really old, possibly general who's Who sitting in the stands. Spoiler alert, Stan, Stan Lee. Lee, and then and it's him. And he's. Uh, do you, can you remember what he says? Well, uh, it's a. It's a bit shorter than I thought. He yeah, would he's be shorter than I thought he would be. Yeah, um, I'm curious though, because in Avengers: Age of Ultron, yes, there's all these Cap's old war buddies that are at the Avengers party. I'm curious if I know it's not meant to be Stanley, but Stanley's playing an old war buddy. It's like, what did this? old war buddy that was in Captain America the First Avenger take the Infinity Formula and he's old the entire time? <laughs> Mate, who, look, who, who knows what Stanley is capable of? Yes. Here's my question, Billy. Do you think that this scene was going to happen or do you think this scene they, they wrote this scene around the Stanley cameo? I think they wrote it around the Stanley cameo. Because I get that the beat is important that he's getting the medal because it's about him getting public recognition as a bona fide war hero instead of just yeah. a PR stunt. But I think it was a combination of both. They could have just shown Cap with a medal. We didn't need to see freaking Stan Lee deliver. A yeah, pretty... I mean, I could have given or taken this one. Like, I'm not fast. 
It's, you know it what? Was, it was a bit of a like, huh, but also eye roll. Yeah, I'm just very mm. over them at this stage. I think mm. when, like, when they happened and you weren't expecting them, they were interesting. Now, like, especially given I the way... I feel, feel like some of them are pretty funny. Maybe it's... And part of it is that, like, when I'm watching these films, I'm in my head, I'm like, come on, where's Stan? Where's Stan? I need to write mm. down what happens and what I thought about it. So that's part of it. Is I'm... Some are funny. Like, I mean, in the second Spider-Man series, the Andrew Garfield one, he's yep. like the janitor, and it's like, he's listening to his music, cleaning up, I don't know, the school... And Spider-Man's fighting around him. I thought that was kind of funny. But it didn't need to be Stan Lee. Like, no, it could have been any old janitor and it, you would have had that same effect. It, exactly. Alright, look, we could we could debate Stanley cameos all day, but let's move into the after-credits stinger, which yes. is... It's not really a stinger, it's more of a trailer. Did in, you get that? Yes, I did, but I wasn't sure if they oh. added that into the DVD or if in the cinematic release... No, no, it was. was I remember it. So it was a little bit of, like... Cap's Cap punching pun- bag. Cap is punching bag. Um, He's peeing the bee, punching the bag. Punching the bag, and he punches this boxing bag off the hook. Which I like. I like how they're sort of... Uh, uh, the great thing about Cap is he'll do all this sort of normal human stuff, and then every now and then he'll just do something that reminds you that he's crazy strong. Yeah. Um, now, and then... What is it? I think, like, uh, Nick Fury turns up and says, you know... That he wants him back in the... No. Cap says, are you trying to get me back in, in the, the world? Field. I'm just like trying to save it. Which is such a fucking hammy line. Yeah. But anyway. I... Um, so, yeah. Like, he's there with a mission. And then it goes into Avengers trailer. I'm going to be honest. That Avengers trailer doesn't really do the film justice. Yeah, I know. It's That's very it. boys clubby as well. Like, yeah. it doesn't... I don't... I think there's like one quick shot of Maria Hill and you don't see Black Widow at all. No. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's, it could have been better. Now, Billy, are we going to get the double stinger in a, when did the double stingers come in? Cause we're still only on the single stingers. Are they after Avengers? Probably after Avengers. Interesting. I'm trying to remember if Avengers had a double stinger. I, I know it had the Thanos stinger. Yes. But I don't know if it had any other stinger. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, look, would, I'm sure there'll be a, a, a big amount of excitement for us when we finally get up to that, uh, get up to the double stinger um look shall we jump into uh, a little segment that we we like to call if you like this and then read this yes so in this segment we talk about uh, comics that you might enjoy reading mm-hmm. if you happen to enjoy this film unfortunately Marvel doesn't really do uh, put in any sort of effort at promoting the comics behind these films so don't worry, Marvel. We've got your back. We're gonna. We're here to uh, to save the day. Usually, but not always. Uh, we'll each will each suggest one Marvel book that'll usually feature the character, and we'll also usually mention a book from another publisher that might capture the tone or some of the elements that we enjoyed from this film. So, do you want to okay. go first, or do you want me to go first, my friend? Okay. So, one story that I thought was good was called "The Marvels Project." Um, it's by Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, and Dave Stewart. Which are, well, Brubaker and Epting are a great team. Yeah. They went on to do a book at Image, I believe, called Velvet. Yes. As well as doing a whole bunch of Captain America work together. Yeah, and it reads kind of like a prequel to Captain America, the first Avenger, even though it's it's not really a Marvel Studios tie-in, but it's all about that era and stuff like the Mar- the Marvels, as in, like, heroes and stuff around that era. Interesting. Just... Uh, 
this is the cynic in me, but the fact you bring up the Marvel Studios comic tie-ins, mm-hmm. heads up, if you're new to comics and you're thinking of jumping in on one of those Marvel Studio comic tie-ins, don't, don't they're you, rubbish. They're not the greatest. They're usually, uh, I would say, B-grade talent is put on the books mm. and they're not good. It's almost as if Disney is making like a concerted effort to not make people, to like put people off the comics. Oh. It really frustrates me that they don't, like, how hard is it at the end of the film, or even with the marketing, they say, hey guys, if you like this film, Reduce. check out this comic, or look on your seat, there's a free comic. Like, how mm. hard it is to do that, to, to push these these books? It just annoys me, because as a big fan of comics, mm. you know, and a lot of great things have come out of Marvel Comics in the past, and continue to come out of Marvel Comics, I'd love to see their own parent company push these books. Uh, what were the other ones that you were thinking Yeah, about? so the, the one I want to uh, talk about was Captain America and Bucky, also by uh, Ed Brubaker, who is, you know, such a such a uh, legendary Cap scribe now. Um, but yeah, it's written by Ed Brubaker and Mark Andreco, and it came out in 2011 to 2012, um, and I believe it featured art from, um, from oh, I forgot his name, Chris Samney, mm-hmm. among other artists. But, and Chris Samney is now actually on the main Captain America title yeah. uh, with Mark Wade. But yeah, uh, it was about, obviously, as the name suggests, Captain America and Bucky. Uh, from memory, I believe, it carried on sort of the main story arc from um, from what, or at least was strongly connected to what Brubaker was doing on Captain America at the time. Yeah. And I believe it even had the Captain America numberings, because I think it was 620 to 628. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of it was set during um during World War Two. So again, that sort of feeds into what's in the film. A lot of the World War Two cap stuff. So if you like cap in action in World War Two, then uh then yeah, check out Captain America and Bucky. And really, all of Brubaker's run strongly links to the World War Two stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, did you have a non-Marvel book that you wanted to talk about? I don't. But I've got another one. Um, there's yeah, Captain America ahead. Masterworks. Um, I'm not sure if you can still get it, but it sort of reprints a lot of the early stuff after. You- rejoined the Marvel Universe. So, to when he revived, Yes. So, when he was revived post-Avengers. Um, Interesting. Um, and it's all about, you know, Captain America adjusting to the death of Bucky and, you know, trying to cope with a world that's moved on to be years without him type thing. Okay, so it sounds like it really capitalises on those man-out-of-time elements yeah. that we got a brief glimpse of in this film. And they're created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Okay, so you get to you get to uh, put up with that wonderful Stanley dialogue. Yes, um, another Ameri- another like definitive Captain America writer is Mark Grunwald. Okay, yeah, so definitely grab any of his stuff. Um, the Bloodstone Hunt is a good one. That's the first appearance of Crossbones. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Who, of course, appears in the Marvel Cinematic Universe both as just a as not crossbones as like a shield agent who actually is working for Hydra in Captain America 2 mm-hmm. and then Captain America 3 he's actually the crossbones villain in like the full the full costume. Yeah. Played by oh what's his name? He's like the he's sort of like a strong meathead dude. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. Um what are right. the comics. Uh, uh, so my other pick the, my non my non marvel pick is The Old Guard. It's uh, written by Greg Rucker. Mm-hmm. Art by Lynn Leandro Fernandez, uh, colours by Daniel Miwa and lettering by Jody Wynn, and I apologise if I butchered any of those names. Um, so, something that happened, a theme that comes up quite frequently in Greg Rucker's work is soldiers. A lot of his characters have had some sort of affiliation with the army or sort of have a military background. Yeah. So this book is about this band of five soldiers 
who can't die. So some of them have been around since the antiquity and basically they just they can't be killed. They're immortal and no no um no injury will kill them. Yeah. And it's about them sort of trying to find a place in the or trying to find a place in the modern world and lie low. And it's really good. Anything, you know, Greg Rucker is such a great writer that it, I can really recommend anything he's done. But the art's great. And thematically, I think it brings in some of the, a bit of the man out of time elements and the sort of immortality elements of the Captain America story that we saw in this film. Yeah. Um, well, so, look, something else I was going to say yeah, going is um, Mouse. Oh, of course, by Art Spiegelman. Yeah. I mean, if you're into like, you know... Like uh, historical comics. Yeah, war, war, war comics. Mm. Uh, Mouse is a good one that we'll figure out. And that's about his family's experiences in Nazi Germany. Is that correct? Yes. Um, now, Billy, something I want to quickly bring up with you is, uh, you, of course, um, every now and then uh, we check in to see what our top three Marvel films are and whether they've changed on the view of this latest film. Billy, has Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, made it into your top three? Nope. Nope? Nope. Yeah, look, it hasn't made it into my top three either. That said, um, when we finally see Infinity War, uh, we hinted that we might do our um, uh, top, like, rank yeah, all no. the films in order. And I think Captain America is definitely yeah. going to be, uh, probably going to be in the top top ten, maybe top five mm-hmm. for me. It's definitely redeemed itself. Yes. Um, look, Billy, shall we, uh, shall we jump in before we go? Uh, shall we plug... Uh, a few things. Yes, so um, you can reach us on geekofoz.com yep. or geekofoz on Facebook. Yeah, or on Twitter at geekofoz. Yes. Um, and uh, something I want to quickly quickly plug, Yes. I didn't actually tell you about this before, is an, an, a comics anthology that's going to be hitting Kickstarter. In fact, it should be, it's going to be hit, hitting, <coughs> hitting Kickstarter on February 4th, and it should be out by the uh, by the time that you get this podcast. It's called Corpus, and it's an anthology that focuses on illness and bodily ailments and people's medical experiences. Yeah. Um, given what's going on in America at the moment with, with the debates around healthcare and stuff, it's a really timely book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being edited and curated by a good friend of mine, Nadia Shamas, who's an upcoming editor and no doubt going to be a superstar in comics, and it also features a short story by myself. Um, so, look, if you're in, interested in sort of comics that are giving people with illness uh, a place in which they can tell their stories or just interested in, in supporting new comics talent or just comics in general, get on board. It's on Kickstarter. It's Corpus, C-O-R-P-U-S. Um, all right, and that's it. We'll see yeah. you next week. All right, see you next week, guys.